1: Welcome to episode 518 with my guest, Gabby Lamb. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit in our heads. Uh, I'm not a therapist. This is not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there. Fill out a survey. It's anonymous. Uh, Maybe browse the forum. Find some like-minded people. You can also support the show uh, through the website. You can do uh, donations through PayPal or Patreon. Uh, We also accept Zelle, and we can always use uh, contributions. So... Uh, just putting that out there, oh, you can also buy t shirts and coffee mugs and and stuff like that. How are you holding up? How is the fall depression are you I'm so jealous of people whose who don't first of all people that don't experience depression but especially people who don't experience the onslaught of of fall depression. I have been sleeping more than i've been awake i might sleep more than dead people i could be wrong i've never talked to any but uh you know i'm trying not to judge myself it is what it is and uh it's it's at least i'm not putting any gas on the fire by judging myself for it and uh i know i know the worm will turn This is from the racism survey filled out by Carmen, and she is uh, American Indian, and she writes, "Uh, I have too many experiences with racism to count. I cannot pick more than one race on the survey question, but I am biracial. I am Native American and Latina. People are constantly fascinated when they learn I am Native American and expect me to know something about other tribes they've heard of or they say that they're part Native too. There's a difference between having Native American ancestry and being involved in the culture and the community of your tribe. I always say people have negative assumptions and feelings about Natives until they want to be one to seem cool or exotic. To remember how you felt when you experienced racism. When I encounter racism, I always feel defensive and confused at first, then I feel angry. Ultimately, I feel at peace with the experience. It isn't the first time I've dealt with racism and it won't be the last. Might as well make a joke out of it or come to terms with who that person truly is. How do you feel about those experiences now? I feel supported. My family, my friends, my boyfriend are all very understanding to my experiences and have stood up for me before in the face of a racist. Any thoughts or feelings you'd like to share? Just that I would have liked to check both my races in this survey. I feel very uncomfortable on surveys when I feel I have to ignore one half of myself for convenience sake. Uh, first of all, thank you for your your survey. And I have uh, remedied that by uh, including another box for people to, uh, if they are uh, mixed, to... Uh, specify what I get so nervous when I talk about race I'm so afraid that I'm I'm going to say something that sounds insensitive or this is an awful moment uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself if it's a cunt call it a cunt um, he writes it's days like this I'm almost prepared to forgive my old man for blowing his own brains out on my birthday a while back. I worked for cunts. I married a cunt. Most of my extended family are cunts. Just about anyone I considered a friend a dozen years ago has disappeared because, well, they are obviously super cunty. No wonder the old man wanted out of this fucking world. I debated whether or not to to read this one, and ultimately I decided I... uh, I wanted to because one, first of all, you sound like you're in a lot of pain and you got a lot of anger and you're feeling really alone and I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. And if I can just share some of my experience when I have felt isolated and angry, one of the things that opened the door for me was to say, what is the common denominator? In all of these difficult relationships I have with people, and the common denominator was me, and I had to take a good look at myself. And that's not to say there aren't times when somebody was just toxic and I needed to cut them out of my life, and I hadn't done anything wrong. But many, many times, I was contributing to that dynamic. And you honestly, you you sound like you got a lot of really negative, hostile energy. Coming out of you, and that's got to be difficult for other people. So, you know, it might help to take a look at your part, to take a look at the way that you're behaving and how other people might experience you. And, you know, it's scary to fucking go into what is underneath the anger, because that's the that's the gold in finding out what's going under, uh, what's going on underneath there, because. In my opinion, anger is never just about anger. It's about what's underneath it—frustration, sadness, grief, loneliness, all kinds of stuff. So, just putting that 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 out there and um, sending you sending you some some love and, and good vibes. We are sponsored today, as always, by the online therapy provider BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. If you are interested in checking out online therapy, and you know, let's be honest, is there a better time to, to try it than right now? But I've been using it for years, and I love uh, the relationship I have with my therapist, Donna. Um, so, if you want to check it out, go to BetterHelp.com/mental. Make sure you include the slash mental so they know you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire, and if they have a counselor they think is a good match for you, they'll pair you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's a good fit for you. And they have—they are licensed in all fifty states, and they have a huge pool of uh, counselors to uh, to choose from. But occasionally, they will uh, say, you know, this this is a situation where I think you need to find somebody, um, you know, in person. Uh, who who has very, very specific exerti- expertise that we don't have available right now. Um, so yeah, betterhelp.com mental. And one more survey before we get to the interview with Gab- with uh, Gabby. Yeah, uh, This is an awful awesome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Guy Incognito. And he writes, when grandma showed me the photo albums she kept over the years, this picture is of our old farm. It had a crawl space underneath. When your grandpa lost his mind, that's where I hid the guns. Then she turned the page and talked about a dog they once had. Every little thing feels like the end of the world
0: that shame, in order to feel the pleasure, and I was being a dick to everybody. We are social beings, and the only way you're going to get it out is to cry. We need to be with people. I grab them by their throats and let them down to the floor and watch the breath leave their bodies. Well, Maybe listen, people- thanks for coming
1: in. <laughs> <laughs> I am here with Gabby Lamb, who. Uh, you may know as a stand up comedian, an actress. Um, you've got a big presence on Instagram. You do some really, really funny stuff on there. You put questions out to your, your followers. I was watching one of the most recent ones where you put out questions about people's fetishes uh-huh. or family secrets and uh-huh. stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I went, somebody suggested you as a guest for the podcast. I can't remember who it was, but I watched two seconds of your Instagram stuff and I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah i can i can see why you are a sober person you've been sober almost a a year almost a year a year in january kudos thank you kudos thank you and uh you've you also kind of hinted on your uh account that you go to support groups for intimacy issues as Mm -hmm. as well yeah an attraction to unavailable guys
0: absolutely absolutely
1: where do we begin? I know. Where do we
0: unpack?
1: Yes. Well, let's talk about uh, what was childhood like? What were you like <laughs> as a kid? Give me some snapshots, some some memories that you think are kind of uh, representative of little Gabby's childhood.
0: You know, it all starts with childhood, doesn't it? It really it everything really does. does. The older I get to, the more I'm like, oh, this is all childhood. Everything, All, You're like trying to undo everything that you like went through in your weird formative years.
1: And the good news is, though, is it is undoable. It a is. A lot of yeah. it. The brain really, yeah. it does have a lot of plasticity to it. it. It's just a fucking pain in the ass. You're it's doing endless work. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot of work, a lot of faith.
0: Yeah, it is. And the more, it's like the more work you do, the more starts to unravel where you're like, oh, I thought I could have been done, but no, there's.
1: No finish line. There's but, no finish line. But. but there's rewards along the way, yeah, which is cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um,
0: yeah. It is the curse of being self aware. Once you yes. get there, it's like you can't not be there anymore. You can't.
1: You can't not yeah. know that there's so much you don't know.
0: Yeah, right. I am like so sorry, I'm getting off the topic, but I'm so jealous of people that don't have a lot of self-awareness to an extent because i'm like must be nice yeah to just live in this like blissful ignorance yeah
1: but are they blissful yeah i, I don't hope know. they're not i i, <laughs> I know right not. i know i hope they're miserable
0: i know because no.
1: i am no i wish i wish them all the best but the jealous part of me right. is like you don't have to go to support group meetings and right take meds to and function. talk to a therapist and yeah. journal and pray and meditate and stretch and God, it's endless self-reflect and
0: right right it's, it's fucking endless it's yeah a bad childhood what was childhood like you know i where do i even i think my, i think i had a pretty good where were you raised i was born in la and raised i think we moved to san diego or oceanside when i was five mm-hmm. so based raised and oceanside which is like you know about 45 minutes north of san diego yeah. But uh, I've been there. I've been there. Mm-hmm. D- did
1: stand up. They used to have a club there outside the military base. And, did they? Yeah. Yeah. And my best friend lives in Carlsbad. So okay, yeah, I've yeah. made many many trips down there.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Carlsbad yep. is a neighboring city. Yeah. But that's where I grew up. Um I mean they, my childhood was pretty It was I don't know what to compare it to cuz I haven't lived anybody else's childhood, but I think it was my parents are really interesting. They have a very interesting dynamic as far mm. as like how i grew up it was not what's the word i'm looking for it wasn't super conventional but i grew up in like a very pretty nice house at the time it was a really nice house like really close to the beach Mm. um my parent my dad's an artist who never had a as far as i've been alive he hasn't really had a job and not because he made a bunch of money off of art just because he's like a lazy artist
1: so your mom kind of uh
0: Yeah, my mom's a teacher, so she was the one. She worked in film before, um, like right when I was born, up until I was about five, and then when she moved to San Diego, she became a teacher. Okay. She's always been like the breadwinner, and my dad's kind of been like the...
1: Was, uh, I I watched one of your uh, Instagram posts, and it was you and your mom's kitchen going through about uh, what looked like 500 (laughs) corks, wine bottle corks that she had saved.
0: funny. Yeah, she does do that. She's done that my entire life where she she does this thing where she, like, hoards corks and plastic bags from grocery stores. It's like, she'll, like, put bags and bags and bags and bags, bags and drawers full of corks. Yeah. And that – she's kind of – she's, like, kind of a weird hoarder in right. – like, like, we've always had, like, a lot of stuff in – the cupboards, like, expired food and stuff. Mm -hmm. And anytime I'd want to throw something out, she'd be like, no, 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 let's keep it. And I'd be like, that expired in 1996. It's 2011. And she's like, no, it's probably still good.
1: We'll eat it on its centennial. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, She kind of made mention that she... Drinks a lot. She does. She's a
0: a bottle of wine or a night kind of person.
1: Was that ever an issue? Or or do you think it's uh, become an issue for her or your relationship with her?
0: You know, I didn't really realize that it was. I mean, because growing up, I was like, oh, that's just like a normal thing. You know, like moms get fucked up off wine and that's what they do they smoke inside and they cuss and they drink a bunch of wine and that's just like
1: silently wish their husbands would work
0: oh yeah oh (laughs) silently god she was fucking loud about it (laughs) to
1: (laughs) you or to him to
0: everyone like to me yeah god it was like that was like their constant fight which was were always happening in front of me was like why did you get a fucking job john i'm the only one who fucking works kind of that was like the vibe of the house but like so it was very chaotic in a lot of ways but i feel like i did have very good parents they're just they're two very different people that love me very much but my mom was like raised by like her dad was from egypt he was super like not emotional guy he had a lot of his own fucking weird issues and i don't think he was he was a pretty like verbally abusive guy Mm -hmm. and so she comes from she has like a lot of shit and then my dad has his own trauma and so just like as i've gotten older i'm like oh i'm like unpacking all of your guys's trauma
1: right yeah i mean we're unpacking our great grandparents shit
0: no it's it's ancestral it just goes and goes and goes yeah it goes and goes and goes but yeah like i was it was a very comfortable upbringing for sure it was just now that i'm older i see like where my issues with like chaotic relationships come from and like my low self-esteem like how that all came from them and i do have a lot of issues with like my mom and dad that i have to work out
1: Uh, anything you're comfortable talking about
0: uh with, with the issues that i have to work out yeah oh yeah definitely all of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what are some that, that spring to mind, the ones that you feel like are going to require the heaviest lifting <sighs> in, in recovery? Honestly. Or there's, therapy?
0: They're so fucking... I've been in therapy for eight years, and I literally just feel like I've started, like, scratching the surface of it, which is wild. Because, like, my therapist for so long was like, you need to get sober. You need to be in you know, intimacy programs. And for so long, I was like, no, I'm fine. Or maybe you're right, but like, I don't, you know. I'll go when it gets bad. Right. And then she would say like, well, you literally pay, you're paying me to tell you to go to free programs. And I was like, but I would rather just pay you. I don't want to have to do the extra work. And And she was like, okay, well, I'll just watch you unravel. And she sure did. But like. You know, the things that come to mind first, I suppose, with, like, mending relationships with parents is, like, um I've become, like, really aware of attachment style stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, like, because it's such, like, a topic now. Because, like, everybody now, I feel like it's such a thing in, like, so social psychology to, like, be aware of what your attachment style is, you know? Right. And so now I'm, like, always thinking about that and how I have very intense, like, emotional... I didn't realize that I was also a very emotionally unavailable person, and I started realizing, like, oh, emotional un- unavailability attracts emotional
1: unavailability. Yeah, it's it's catnip. It because is. Because you know they're not going to get too close. Right. And there's something safe in that.
0: Exactly, and that's, the, that's the, the stuff that I have to unpack with, like, the familial stuff, where it's, like, that chaotic attachment style of, like, oh, but I'm used to feeling like on edge. And I'm used to feeling like things are going to fall apart. And I'm used to feeling like somebody's going to yell at me or like not be proud of me, you know? Yeah. And so I like unintentionally am drawn to that over and over again.
1: Isn't it weird how like before we begin to recover, if we have intimacy issues, that being attracted to unavailable people, when we come across somebody who is available and is fairly healthy and wants to be in a relationship yeah. we either look at them like they're making our skin crawl or they bore the fuck out of us
0: crazy yeah. my therapist always tells me that she's like you're gonna be you need to be with somebody who is going to bore you who isn't going to like keep you chaotically going and i'm like no bitch you're fucking wrong but she's right and the person that i'm dating now is like and I, like, shouldn't – I honestly, like, shouldn't be my therapist forever. It was, like, you shouldn't be dating. Like, give yourself a year. And I mm-hmm. gave myself, like, six months. And I was, like, I'm ready to date again. But, like, I'm working through it. Um, The person that I'm involved with right now is, like, very the opposite of, like, what I go for. You know, where it's, like, chaos. Like, he's very mellow. It's, mm-hmm. like, a very – easy relationship and so I feel myself being like okay where can I start stirring up the drama right. where can I fuck this up and I, it's like been a big learning lesson with him have
1: you had moments uh, like that where you've started to throw some give, give me some yeah. examples of you uh, starting a, a shit storm or thinking you want one
0: right I you know it's like the beginning of our relationship it's fairly new but the beginning of it was very chaotic on my end where I was like <sighs> I I would just I would do the thing where I would be like pull away emotionally and not really be available and not be able to really make up my mind and then I I just I don't know how to like say, ex- I just, I was not being emotionally available.
1: Would you find yourself like physically shutting down getting uh, tired? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that a weird
0: what, weird that, thing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think that's our body's old way of trying to protect us. I think when, when shit was too heavy as kids, we would just retreat into ourselves Dissociate and, and shut yeah, yeah and and shut down because I will find myself sometimes if I'm at a party or even if I'm with somebody uh, I, mm. I love sometimes there's like something in me that clicks off and I have yes. to, to go to bed.
0: yeah it's that's so interesting that you bring that up because so in this current relationship, I feel myself like, I feel myself doing that a lot now, even like physically. Like, I shut down and I'm like, I just would rather, you know, like not be intimate or just like not at all. And I'm like, this isn't like usually how I am. But, you know, in my previous relationships, they've been so fucking like sexually chaotic that my body, you know, like craves it. Cause I'm like, I just, I need to know when I'm gonna be, when it's gonna be. Right. It's it's so because, like, nutty.
1: Uh, is that yeah. because the sex was about things other than uh, intimacy and pleasure? They were about validation. Yes,
0: absolutely. About like
1: reassurance. Doing,
0: yes. Having sex with people just to like make sure that they would stay interested in me. Control. Yeah, con- absolutely.
1: Manipulation.
0: Yes. And I'm like realizing so much now how much of me is like, how much I'm identifying with being like a control freak and how I do use sex as like a tool of manipulation. Yeah. And I, I'm like discovering a lot of that too in this current relationship. That's actually healthy. Cause I'm like, Oh, all the old tricks aren't what I'm going to anymore. And like, it's, it's a different, it's, yeah it's, it's like changing my brain and where I'm seeing things differently. But yeah, it's have, not like, I'm,
1: have you experienced uh, intimacy with your partner where it doesn't go sexual? It's still physically intimate, but it doesn't go sexual. It's just like you just, lay on the couch and, you know, um, rest your heads against each other or, you know, do just affectionate things. Yeah. And and how have you found that?
0: There's a lot, you know what, there's a lot of that now and I'm having a lot more of that now than I've ever actually really had. Um, And it's really, it's really nice because it doesn't feel like I'm being rushed into That's, doing something it
1: takes the pressure off
0: right yeah. and then but then i started even like a, a couple of nights ago i started feeling anxious about that because i was like oh like i should be like so, like i should be like turned on and like trying to have sex with them right now and and, blah, 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 but, and but i didn't want to and it wasn't because of him it's just because like my nervous system is like yeah calmer i don't know but then i like got worked up into my own head where i was like oh well actually no like start being sexual start doing something right, right? and i couldn't yeah. just like let myself enjoy being there and resting
1: one of the things my girlfriend and i will do sometimes uh, is we will uh specifically you know get together and and say Let, let's not have this lead to sex let's just right you know uh be affectionate with each other and yeah. i find because i don't think she ever feels well i've never asked her but i don't think she feels uh pressure sexually i think because uh maybe women women don't have to maintain an erection right but for me sometimes um i put pressure on myself it's never come from her right and yeah. saying you know we're gonna just uh, cuddle on the couch watch a movie or mm. just be affectionate with each other i feel this great relief that i can right. just focus on the pleasure and and love right and, and that was a revelation right. for me. I didn't right. realize how much pressure was there until I took the pressure off.
0: Right. So you didn't have you. You're not feeling like rushed to be having sex with somebody or right. Yeah, yeah, it's a big thing for me, and I didn't realize that that's what it was. I've always like prided myself on being like this like sexual person, and now I'm like really seeing what that is, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that's. Like it's okay to like be a sexual person, but like I the the fact that I was using it and didn't realize it right. as these like
1: Right. Like what is your intent when you're being sexual? That to right. me is really anything, any right. action in our daily lives. What right. what is our intent?
0: Right. Exactly. You know,
1: that that to me has been the biggest portal uh-huh. uh, towards moving towards self knowledge. Has been right. questioning myself. Why am I? Why am I doing this?
0: And that's the greatest thing about sobriety is that it really opens you up to like looking at this stuff and like then you can like really start to ask yourself these questions, and you just become so much more self aware on like a different level. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a really eye opening experience, like being sober and then like getting to know myself in that way. And then like sexually as well. But like, I definitely like, I think like the sexual issues started when I was pretty young and like, that's some stuff that I'm like starting to uncover in therapy, which is...
1: Were there uh, incidents of abuse that sexualized you?
0: I think so. I think the more that I the more that I like think about little instances in my life, I'm like, Oh, Oh, maybe that was actually like molestation. And, you know, maybe that, that was, um, an incident where I wasn't in control of my body and somebody else was. And then like, you know, when I got to be, I lost my virginity really young, 13, 12 and a half, 13. And, ever since then it was like the string of men that came after it was that same feeling of like oh i'm I'm having sex with them to keep them like like stay here stay here stay here so i never i've never really experienced so much like the the comp i guess like sexually compulsive in ways like with my partners but i was i've never been the kind of person that like just goes and like sleeps with a bunch of people but it's like i'm having sex with people to keep them and it's always been people who like didn't want to really be with me.
1: And what were the thoughts going through your head when you would uh, be sexual with them? Were you looking for some type of reaction or some sentence to come out of their mouth that you would find? What was the payoff for you other than sexual pleasure? Like,
0: what was I seeking? Yes. Definitely, like, you know, just love. Like, You just want somebody to be like, you're like every you know I just wanted somebody to be like I love you I want to be with you and I never like really got that and I didn't know why so then it became kind of this like my mindset became like okay well then I'm just going to be a bad bitch and like just like fuck people and 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 then I can like take my power back and it like never worked out that
1: way because you didn't enjoy it
0: No I never I really didn't and like it's funny I was talking to my boyfriend about this i was like do you have any people that you like regret sleeping with And he's like no and i was like that's so funny because if you like i almost everybody i've slept with i regret you know really almost everybody i go through my list of people and i'm like yeah could have done without that one could have done without that one could you know so i have like five that i'm like yeah that's good five out of like 37 or i'm like yeah that's could have done without so many of those
1: So let's go back to when you were a kid or uh, an adolescence, what what do you remember um, being some views on yourself or the world or sexuality or relationships that kind of got implanted in your head that. You you feel like maybe um, are still there that you're trying to unwind. My dog is uh, hey, the dog, she's Is going off. Yeah. <laughs> Come here, Gracie. She's
0: so cute.
1: She's the best.
0: She's so cute. Come here. She is Go so excited. Sock,
1: huh? <laughs> Go chew a sock, huh? Go chew a sock.
0: I was. I'm getting so distracted. Oh, I'm such bad ADHD. Okay, wait. Rewind.
1: So what you know? What were um, <laughs> some. Some beliefs that you had that yeah. you're now unwinding when when you were a kid. You know, it could be that, you know, I'm only uh, my body is only good to keep people or you can't trust men, or right. you know, whatever. Or I'm a piece of shit. Wh- right. I
0: whatever. get I, I definitely the the belief system that I've been had been navigating on and I'm trying to undo now is the low self-esteem. First of all, is like the, I'm a piece of
1: shit. I'm not worthy. Keep going. Give me the greatest hits. The great,
0: yeah. (laughs) Right. The greatest hits. I'm a piece of shit. I'm not worthy. But at the same time, still being like, but I'm also cool. Like, which is very confusing when you have low self esteem, but you're also like, I'm the shit. But then it's, I'm like, but no, you're not. Fuck you. You know,
1: I, I'm sure you've heard the, the phrase that I don't know who coined it, but I'm a piece of shit. The world revolves around. Yeah. So relate to that. It's
0: so and you know, it's so funny, like, it, like being in programs, you hear so much of that, too. And I hear so many people be like, yeah, I'm the coolest. No, I'm not. I'm a piece of shit. And I'm like, ah, I fucking relate to that so much. But uh, that's, and the fact
1: that we're neither. You know, yeah, right. It's, it's, I think the ego can only comprehend being yeah. better than or less than. I, I think it's terrifying to the ego to be one of many because yeah. um yes. it, it, it it it's out of a job.
0: Yeah, right, 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 right. And I have realized recently too that I think I have a bigger ego than I realized. You know, just like that's kind of what rules my life is like having a big ego and I have like yet to decide if that's a good or a bad thing. I don't know. But um, the other some of the other hits that I'm unwinding now. Let's see. Um, yeah, using like using my body as kind of like I don't say, I don't want to say dump truck, but <laughs> that is what comes to mind. It's just being like, oh, you know, like it doesn't like this doesn't matter. Like I don't nah. matter. You matter. Like yeah. you can do what you want. Like right. and I'll just.
1: You need to drop that off? Yeah, come on over here.
0: Right. And that's a big, you know, like, fuck my feelings. It's all about you. Let me just take care of you. But also at the same time, realizing that, like, that's also selfish. I'm like, you know, that kind of thought process where it's like very selfless. It's also selfish.
1: I'm glad you said that because that's uh, something that so many of us don't realize or realize really late in life. Yeah. Is that... We're objectifying somebody. When we turn them into a fantasy right. and, and just say, you know, I'm gonna right. we're being codependent, we are also being selfish because right. we put all the pressure on them. Yeah. And we don't we don't take a healthy look at ourselves. We're Absolutely. like, what can I mean to you? Right. And you then know?
0: you get upset at them and you're like, but, You've you've hurt my feelings. I've had a lot of hurt feelings, so many hurt fucking feelings with men, and now I'm realizing it and I'm like, Oh, that wasn't But, like, it wasn't their job either to, like, take care of my feelings. Like, I needed to be regulating myself and, like, knowing when to pull away from unhealthy relationships. And
1: And to express yourself in a way that's diplomatic at the right time, with Mm. the right words, with Mm. the right tone.
0: Right. And that's also all childhood stuff. You know, I never saw, like, a healthy example of that in my home growing up. It was very just, like, chaotic and fuck you and nobody ever expressed emotions in a healthy way and i'm not like you know i'm not like resentful at my parents for that they were just you know the whole thing of like they just did the best they could with what they knew but now i'm like okay what's a way that i can move forward in my life in a healthy way without repeating those fucking patterns yeah break the cycle
1: was there a bottom for you uh in drinking or drugging or relationships that you just had a kind of a moment of clarity that something needed to change.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a series of things. I think I think a, a series of things led me up to like the final moment of being like, "Oh, this isn't good." Um I got sober January 4th of last year right after like a really kind of nasty breakup, and it was like it was like pretty devastating, but it it wasn't it wasn't devastating a hundred percent like because of him. It was devastating because he was like a reflection of all of the things that I wasn't taking care of in myself, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh, it makes
1: total sense.
0: Right. So I was using this guy to kind of like numb all of these issues that I needed to be taken care of. And then when he like ultimately kept rejecting me, it was like I was like spinning out of control and I was drinking a lot, and like after that breakup, like a month after, I was like, You're not ever gonna recover from this breakup. You're not gonna recover from your habits if you don't fucking stop. And I had gotten a D I got a DUI last year. And even after that, it was like up until I had the breathalyzer installed in my car, which was like two months after getting my DUI, I would still like drink and drive, you know, like I got Mm -hmm. the DUI and I was like, I'm fine. And I like would still drink. And then eventually when the thing got installed, I was like, okay, so we can't drink and drive anymore. Mm -hmm. What are, we...
1: <laughs> what are we gonna do
0: right and i still didn't see it as a problem because like i was just like a lot of people get I like it's just a thing and it was like kind of funny to me and then the more i realized like it wasn't that funny and it like wasn't it just wasn't funny <laughs> yeah. and it stopped being cute you know i was like it's not really that cute to be like this like drunk all over the place girl and then I went through that breakup and I was like, okay, I have a DUI. I don't have a boyfriend. And I, like, and I, I I was dating somebody who didn't ever want to be with me. And like the relationship before that was the same thing. And, you know, and then if, like, after that, I was like, we have to stop, like stop and reevaluate. And that was just kind of the big, I was, I'm like, in retrospect, I'm very happy about that relationship ending. Because I'm like, if I didn't, I wouldn't have gotten sober. I would have kept repeating the same problems. I would have, like, kept going out, like, almost every night and doing coke and getting Mm. fucked up and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And after it ended, I was like, okay, well, time to reevaluate and be alone.
1: Isn't it amazing when uh, we look back and a disaster was a gift? Right. It's so mind-blowing.
0: It is. It is. And it's never... (laughs) It's, like, never... You realize how much of the issue is you and not the other people, and that's been a big lesson for me. As like, oh, I'm like the root of my problems, and a You're lot the of the common ways. denominator. The common, yeah, right. And I started reading that book, The Four Agreements, which has some really fucking good nuggets of mm-hmm. information. Have you read it? No. Oh, you haven't. No. no. It's a really. It's a very. It's it's. It's a really good, like, little simple kind of self-help book, but one of, like, the agreements in the four agreements is, like, don't take anything personally, which is a big one where it's, like, any, like, nothing is about you. So
1: little of life is about us. Right, yeah.
0: right, right, right. So that's just, it's just been a bunch of interesting, eye-opening revelations and undoings.
1: So as you started to unnumb yourself mm-hmm. from the, obsessive you know trying to keep this guy or get to a place in your relationship with him that felt like a finish line or the right. place you wanted to be and you stopped drinking i imagine a lot of feelings uh came up when you were just sitting in that that stillness what it what were the feelings and mm-hmm. what were you doing to try to numb yourself or distract yourself
0: you know it's i feel like I'm still, you know, like, I still am in pretty early sobriety. So things are still, like, I'm still getting used to things being quiet. And I feel like in the last, like, month or two, I've really been able to be like, okay, like, I feel a little bit more leveled out. Mm -hmm. But, like, it was, you know, it was really difficult because I am really obsessive in nature. I have been since I was little. Like, there's one thing that I can remember about myself from a really young age. It was just, like, being obsessive. Mm -hmm. And not to um to go too far off of that question but my therapist was like you know a sign of a kid having like hyper, like a hypersexual kid and a really obsessive kid is early childhood like sexual trauma and i was like i don't know what that and i don't know if i've like buried it really deep down i don't really know where it comes from and there's a few instances like i said that i can kind of relate to that being like early sexual childhood trauma But the obsessiveness anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it all
1: fucking Did you go ahead and finish your thought?
0: Um But the obsessiveness after like that like breakup kind of it took a while to wear off because Mm -hmm. then even after I stopped drinking and doing drugs, it was like then I had social media and I was like, Well I'll just look at his social media every five seconds and I'll create an account and like look at it and da 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 and I'll you know try and find ways to like get him to notice me again and it's And then, like my sober brain was like, stop! Like this is why, like you got sober so like you could cut this pain in half, and like that has been a fucking. And I'm like finally over that hump now, but it took a long time.
1: Yeah, what do do we call that? Switching the deck chairs on the Titanic.
0: Right, that's exactly. (laughs) And then you know, then you numb out with other things like social media. Now I'm like so addicted to being on my phone. It's so bad.
1: What What's the dream? you know, when you get on your phone that you think right. is going to, that somebody has retweeted something a hundred thousand times.
0: Exactly, I'm like, what do I think that somebody, like I'm finally going to like get famous and some, you know, agent is going to be like, you're the one we've been looking for. Like right. that's in my fucking fantasy head, you know? Yeah. And like to an extent that does happen with social media, like it is instant gratification, but I've never walked away from it feeling like, fuck yeah, I feel so good. You know, it's such a short hit.
1: Yeah. You never hear anybody go, Instagram made me whole.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> That's why everybody was like, I need to get offline, you know? Yeah. Nobody's like, I need to be more on Instagram. We're all trying to get off of it and we can't.
1: You, you talked about um, being hypersexual as a kid. Yeah. Did you feel shame about that? Did Did other people shame you? Um, what 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 were your thoughts or did you just feel like you were just another kid so
0: god that is there's so much to unpack in that question um I definitely started noticing I mean I like lived so much in my own world but like I like started masturbating really young but like not knowing it was masturbating in that way you know just like like leaning on things or like having just, just things that I was like, oh, this feels good. And maybe that's like a normal kid thing to do. I'm pretty sure it is.
1: But yeah. I think kids exploring their bodies is, I think yeah. when it's compulsive, there might be something underneath yeah. that, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes. So, yeah. uh, you know, right. Just from what I've read and the people I've interviewed, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a continuum,
0: right it's yeah god also i feel like every comedian has like the same trauma in so many ways but um i remember from a really young age like (laughs) i was like always drawing like figures with like big fat tits and like naked you know but Mm -hmm. i was like young and like drawing things having sex and like nine is a young age to be drawn. That's,
1: that's really yeah, and, right. and for it to be so specific and graphic. Were you exposed yeah. to pornography?
0: I I don't fucking know. Um, I I must have been somewhere yes. along the line. You know, like I had older brothers, and maybe like I like heard or saw them having sex or something i'm not sure yeah i couldn't like pinpoint exactly where it comes from but i just remember being very young and like having like i remember like disassociating with like sexual thoughts when i was really young like a lot of the time like long drives when i would be with my family i would just like be sitting in the back seat just like thinking about like about like sex scenes and that's i just was
1: making up sex scenes.
0: yeah and i was fucking young like between like eight and eleven.
1: What what were the the nature mm-hmm. of them? How realistic were they or were they you know pretty how graphic. A kid? Wow. Yeah. That
0: I know. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. Because <laughs> I I was a, a hypersexual kid who yeah. thought about sex constantly, but I also had a completely clueless like I thought once a man and a woman had sex, that the babies just came out like a slot machine. All you had to do was have sex it's once, so funny. and then you would. And and the person that dissuaded me from that uh, idea was a friend of mine who had th- uh, thirteen brothers and sisters, and uh, I was like, I could never look his mom in the in the eye for like a couple of years. Yeah. I was like, your mom is fucked over thirteen times. Uh, that, like, that's so that, funny. That like blew my mind. That
0: is that's so funny too. I remember like finding. out out that my mom had had sex m- more than one time. Yeah. Because it was the same idea of like, you only have sex to like have a kid or whatever. Right. And and I was like, ew, no, no, she hasn't.
1: It, were you Were you picturing yourself as being a part of these or were you picturing that this was something that you were watching? Um,
0: I I think that it was always me imagining... Two, like, non-existent people. They were just kind of, like, figures that I had made up in my head. Gotcha. Yeah. And I don't... I just remember dissociating a lot as a kid with, like, sexual fantasy. And then, like, also just other things. Like, I was just, like, in fantasy land so much of my own, so much of my life.
1: For for me, it was, it was about the visual. Mm-hmm. Like, it was never even on my radar, mm-hmm. like, wanting to touch a vagina yeah. or wanting um uh, to be touched it was just all boy if i could just see you know really? that lifeguard without her bottoms on yeah. oh my life would be complete huh. you know and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it was kind of an, uh, an obsessive uh thing but then again i you know uh, people rarely tell you how fr- you know how often they're thinking sexual, right. so sexual you, right. thoughts, so you you never know if if yeah. you're uh on the in the normal range or the exactly. abnormal range but.
0: and then if you talk about it you're like you're like not supposed to talk about it so then you feel ashamed for talking about it when you're little so it is very fucking confusing yeah. and I'm a big advocate of like normalizing talking about sex and you know like no, I think it's just because everybody fucking does it and everybody has like weird dark things surrounding it and like that's my favorite it's like my favorite subject because it's this one thing that we all have in common and there's a lot of like interesting aspects to it it's not just like sex like there's so much psychology rooted oh, it's, with sex it,
1: it's what is it the saying um sex is about everything except sex
0: right yeah and it really is, yeah it's fascinating to me it's
1: about control mm-hmm. and power and right. validation right. and love, and it's such a mixed it's such to it be about anger, it can so be about much
0: right, yeah, um, it, right, it's so loaded.
1: are you comfortable talking about uh sexual fantasies, stuff like that?
0: yeah, I mean, I don't do you have any questions about it
1: uh When I interview people who uh, struggle with intimacy Mm -hmm. issues, and especially people who are open talking about their sexuality. Um, You know, for instance, we we had uh, a a guest on about a year ago, and she shared that the only way that she can come is if she imagines someone choking her
0: to death. Oh, interesting. To death.
1: Um, I have a friend who can only (laughs) come when he... um, Imagines his girlfriend cheating on him.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm just endlessly fascinated yeah. by what it is. Um, and as much as that, yeah. how comfortable that person is with talking about it. Yeah. Uh, with not judging themselves. Yeah. For it. You know? Yeah. I, I had this fantasy and, it, and it's interesting because fantasies for me will come, and go as I kind of recover and, uh-huh. and I change or evolve as a person. But I don't know, this is probably 10, 15 years ago. I was delivering food to, to old people and there was this one lady, but she was a grandma that I would deliver food to. And I would get so aroused, anticipating delivering the food to her, wow. imagining her wanting, uh, imagining me having some reason that i had to take my clothes off
0: no way and, and being
1: naked in front of her and her i mean it was super specific like then she would um wow. you know do something to like uh you know care for my body or you know do so it was total mommy shit total mommy yeah, shit. but Freudian. it 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 freaked me out. Yeah. It it filled me with shame. Yeah. And it was a while before I could kind of unpack it and look back and go, oh, that was, you know, that was totally related to childhood shit and right. mom issues. And I can laugh about it now, and and I can talk about it. But it, at the time, if somebody had known that about me, I would have seriously considered suicide.
0: Really? Yeah. That and is so I guess that's right. what,
1: one of the things I'm interested in yeah. is not only the things that that we judge ourselves for yeah. for sexually thinking or feeling, um, but what's what's the judgment right. about, and has that evolved over uh, yeah. over time?
0: And the fact it's so interesting that you can like openly talk about that like that now, whereas. You know, years ago, you literally would have like contemplated suicide yeah. had somebody figured it out and how much more freeing it is to just like talk it's, about it and be like, oh, it's just, it's just like a fantasy. It's
1: just a thing. And it's not, our our fantasies have so little to do with right. who we are morally.
0: Totally. And totally. It's, yeah.
1: It's, it's not a choice. Right. What turns us on is not a choice. What we do with it is a choice. But, right. right? It,
0: that's so fucking crazy. Yeah. That's so fucking crazy. I mean, that's why I love doing that thing that that like tea time shit that I do, of like asking people, you know, like, what are your fetishes and hearing about like the other things like that people go through or, you know, I think it's like it's therapeutic for people who are watching because they're like, OK, I'm not the only one yeah. who has these fantasies. And I don't really have. I don't really have any fetishes. Um The. I do think about women a lot like and that is like usually what helps me get off is if I think about women but then I also don't think I mean I don't know I've never really had like a sexual relationship with a woman so I'm like I I don't know if I'm you know bisexual or gay or what's going on there but it is definitely like that's whenever I watch porn it's like very about women or I think about women Mm -hmm. but that's really uh uh
1: I've read 7,000 plus surveys that people have filled out about, you know, trauma, sexual fantasy, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And what you just said is the most common one is it really? that I read of, of women, straight women. Really? Yeah. And to me, ultimately, it doesn't matter whether they're straight or gay or right, whatever. Right. It's just, you know, what, yeah. what what you do with it? What, you yeah. know? Do you, are you judging yourself for it? Yeah. Do you judge yourself for it?
0: No, I don't. I I really don't because it doesn't. No.
1: Have no. you sh- Have you shared uh, that with a a partner?
0: Yeah, and I I talk about that a lot, like with my friends and stuff, or like what kind of porn we watch, or blah blah blah. Yeah, but I have that is something like that I'm not afraid to talk about. I uh,
1: when I began finding out about the inner lives of women from doing the podcast and getting to know female fellows and my support groups, I was shocked um, at how many women get off on watching porn that is degrading to women.
0: Yeah, I can't. That's interesting, though. I do have yes. a lot of friends who are really into, like... I have some friends who are, like, really into, like, gnarly gang-banging videos. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I could I can't. No, yeah. no, 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 no.
1: Yeah, that seems like that's one of those things that there's no in-between on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I, I'm like, no judgment to anybody that does. It's just for no. me, I'm like, I am not... I don't. I can't. The really hardcore stuff is not for me.
1: Yeah, I've never, I've never been a fan of of that
0: yeah i'm very very vanilla when it comes to like sexual fantasies you know i don't mm-hmm. have any like outrageous i remember one time <laughs> years ago i uh, i was like over my friend's house and she had her laptop out i don't think she was home but i like opened up her laptop to like look something up and it was and she was she's gay and it was like the gnarliest kink like lesbian shit I had ever seen and I opened it, I was like what the fuck is going on here and I don't remember if I ever brought it up to her but it was like That's... it was what you know it was like in like clamps and hanging from something yeah. and like like hitting each other I was like what the fuck
1: isn't it great though this <laughs> that that she has an outlet
0: mm-hmm. to yeah
1: to express that and yeah. you know, hopefully she doesn't feel shame about it if it's if it's right. consenting yeah adults
0: and there shouldn't be i mean there's so much shit that shouldn't be there shouldn't be a lot of shame around consensual you know fetishes you know, of course like when you dip into like not consensual and child shit that's where yeah. it's a big issue but the rest of it it's like if we're all consenting adults and
1: yeah. it's fine you want to Jerk off while somebody pops balloons. Right. That's awesome.
0: Right, right. That's awesome. Yeah, that was, it was one of my tea time episodes was like, what are your, like, wow, this fetish is a lot of shit fetishes. That's,
1: that's the, uh, the thing when I was kind of doing research Mm -hmm. on you and I went to your Instagram, I clicked the things at the top that were all the little, uh, Instagram uh, post that you had yeah. and the one about the fetishes and the other ones about the family secrets, it was just so, com- so compelling. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, because I figured if you were willing to talk about mm-hmm. that on your thing that you would be probably comfortable talking about it on the podcast. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm starting. I, 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 I'm
1: feeling a little bit of shame about about asking that. Oh, I'm, really? I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, one of my fears is I'm going to come across as creepy oh, no. or uh, too um Not having boundaries, asking asking people questions. It's it's kind of a fine line because I want to get an interview that's Mm -hmm. compelling and goes deep, but I also want to be respectful, right? Especially when it's a uh, a woman,
0: right? That makes total sense. And I am, I mean, I do open myself up in that way, so it doesn't like catch it doesn't like catch me off guard or like offend me because that is the way that like I open myself up. So I expect it, and I'm starting a podcast. That is exactly what I do on my Instagram, but now I'm just going to bring it over a podcast because it's easier to, you know, just be more interesting right. that way. But I wanted yes. to do the exact format, and I was thinking about it on the way over. Like, what do I want the like next? Because I'm going to have people email me, right? You know, about like the subject matter, like family secrets or mm-hmm. fetishes or da 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 da. Yeah. And it's I, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. At. I know. I love it. Yeah. I fucking love it. And I sometimes I I'll judge myself for thinking about it as often as i do um the
1: podcast or sex
0: sex like sex stuff but like not even at this point like not even like in a sexual way like i'm always thinking about like people's like sexual lives and then i feel like should i be thinking about this but to me it's like it's so much less about the sex and it is about like the way that people express themselves. I don't know, but I do
1: think about it a lot. I think, I think that's pretty normal. Like if yeah. I'm in a coffee shop and you know, somebody walks up, you know, male, female, whatever, uh, Picture him naked. Yeah. Picture him taking his shit. They're you know. Wild. Picture him crying. You yeah. know. Whatever. Just picturing them as yeah. a a, a full fledged human being. Yeah. And it's not like I sit there and, and I obsess. It's just yeah. like a flash. Yeah. And I, I used to judge myself for that. And now I'm just kind of amused by the animation festival yeah. in my head. Yeah. I think a lot of times it's it's related to anxiety too. Do you think? I do. Do you have bad anxiety? uh i do i do god, definitely i
0: have such bad anxiety
1: uh, talk about that
0: oh it's so i've i god i think about it constantly i was walking today and i was like why am i always so fucking anxious like even in my moments of like relaxation i'm just always like sped up and anxious and i never yeah. have like a really restful moment yeah I
1: wonder if body work would be a beneficial thing for you like (sighs) EMDR or somatic experiencing. That can release a lot of shit, a lot of trauma, especially trauma that can't be spoken, especially if stuff's buried because the body holds that stuff in. The mind may not be able to make sense of it, but that might be a, a really big step for you.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. It's like... I have this other part of me that I also need to I need to like work I have so much shit that I need to work through but like I have the like the really cynical part of me is always like oh don't fucking like you're not going to heal like don't do that like, you don't need to do body work like that's so new new age right hippie. yeah right and yeah. I'm like no just fucking get through it on your own like da 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 but it's you know, a big part of me, like, doesn't want to believe it and then doesn't want to do the work. Yeah. And I'm like, is that, that's like a defense mechanism. It's this, yes. like, wall that I have up that doesn't, I don't want to, like, let down. Don't
1: open the door. Right. We're okay in here. Right. But Stop like, knocking.
0: Right. But we're, like, so not.
1: We're so not. Describe what it feels like in your brain and your body when you're in that anxious state.
0: Oh, fuck. It's just, I mean, I, I'd like, have a very hard time ever feeling, like, Actual calmness and actual joy. I, I I don't feel happy a lot of the time. Like I've, I'm like happy, but I don't feel it in my core of like gratitude. And like, I never feel like, um, I've done well enough, you know, it's like, it's always chasing that. Okay. Well, I need more. Like I need, I'm still not where I want to be. I still don't have I, my career is not where I want it to be. I don't have enough money. Da, 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 da. Like I'm, I'm never just like, yeah, things are good, and it's that constant.
1: It's exhausting. It's
0: exhausting. I'm like, I am so exhausted being in my head, which is why I was fucking got so also so into drinking because it was so easy to be like. Okay. I, oh yeah, you get
1: right. the, the, get that deep breath that you were looking for. Right. It's just all the side effects of that, yeah. you know, weaving in and out of traffic and uh, all the other shit that makes it unmanageable. But yeah. oh, if I could if I could manage drinking, I would still be drinking. It's it's right. but it's just the rest of the shit that came with it,
0: you know. The rest it, of the was, shit that came with it. I know I still have such a hard time accepting that I'm an alcoholic too. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not, but then it's like, but why even chance it again? You know, like it wasn't doing me that well before. So why try and do it now?
1: COVID has made me think about it more, never to the point where I'm like, yeah, maybe I should drink, but to where I would, you know, picture a drink and rather than it just being like, oh my God, you know, play that tape through, that's a fucking disaster. I'd be like, well, maybe not. Maybe. Oh, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. COVID has been a wild experience for sobriety. I was like, I totally think that if I wasn't sober during this, I would have, become such a drug addict i would have become such an alcoholic like, i would have leaned so far into it
1: okay i completely agree <sighs> so i completely agree right. i mean isolating and getting fucked up oh that was a sweet combo for oh me. the best you know
0: the best yeah and i would have done it
1: you don't have to share
0: yeah <laughs> god so great I loved, I did love going, I did love going out and getting fucked up because going, when I could go out and get fucked up, that's when I I didn't have like anxiety, anxiety about being out anymore. You know, it's so much easier to like be out with people and be fucked up. Yeah. And when you get sober, the interesting thing about being sober now and being around people is that it's like started to turn me off so much more because it's so fucking boring being around fucked up people when you're sober you're like
1: it's it is it is so boring i don't find it making me want to drink quite the opposite it, right it it makes me uh, right yeah it makes me want to want to leave but if i'm around yeah. a group of people and we're talking about something that's deep yeah that, that i find that energizing i was at a party agree, one yeah. time and we all just started getting honest about darkness in our brains and, i love that and I was like, I this is the first party I never wanted to end. Was it a sober party? Uh, no, no. Some people were drinking, but the group I was talking to, yeah. they they weren't big drinkers. Okay. they were more. Yeah. We were all. I think we all started uh, talking about uh, our struggles with depression, yeah. and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then we started talking about uh, shit that happened to us in childhood, yeah. and and it was uh, it was like this connection that I'd never felt at a at a party before, yeah. and I thought. I don't really hate parties. I hate kind of this normal conversation. That right. I hate small talk.
0: That's and that's another thing that is all that like does kind of like haunt me is my inability to like make good small talk whenever I am around people. Like I always, it's that thing of like wanting to go right into like the super vulnerable stuff, yeah. where I am like, I want to fucking talk about like the like nastiest, saddest, weirdest, mm-hmm. most vulnerable moments. Which uh, bridge do
1: you picture throwing yourself off of? Oh, right. I hey, love where's those. everybody going?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those. I love those. Yeah. Talk to me about death and suicide and all of the crazy shit you want to do. I just, ugh, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's always, you know, it's always so boring to me when you bring up something dark and somebody's like, oh, that's dark. And you're like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. Oh, get the fuck over it. And I'm, with those people, I'm like, do you do you not really think about this stuff, or do you just not allow yourself to? Yeah.
1: Or do you not want it to be known that you think about right. those things?
0: Right. It it blows my mind when people are like, "You TMI, me, me And I'm like, "What do you mean TMI? I love like, I love TMI. Yeah, I love it." the nastier the weirder people get like the more comfortable i feel because i'm like oh you can be honest yeah you know how to be honest i,
1: I uh, agree yeah right the, the only place i might draw the line is talking about certain things when i'm eating oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i don't want to hear about somebody taking a shit when i'm yeah. when i'm eating <laughs> that doesn't bother me yeah
0: yeah no it doesn't i don't get grossed out with that stuff
1: yeah um that's funny so that,
0: it feels pretty normal
1: you're uh you got uh quite a few uh, tattoos. Could I sound uh-huh. like an older fart? <laughs> <laughs> Young lady <Yeah. laughs> What's with all the drawings on the yeah. arms and legs? You got a lot yeah. Uh I do. What what do you enjoy about getting tattoos?
0: So uh, you know I've gotten
1: do you enjoy the process of it? I do. Picking it, getting it done?
0: Yeah, I love it. It's also, you know, it's, uh, so many answers to this. Um, I've gotten probably 89% of them during quarantine. So the past six months, I've just been like going, like going in a tattoo shop and being like, I have right. money and time. Let's do it. Right. And nothing else to do. And I talked to my therapist about it. And I was like, I keep getting all these tattoos. And she was like, you know, that's another thing that addicts do. And I was like... Oh, is it? And she's like, Yeah, you just you're looking for another mm-hmm. rush, another hit of something. I'm like, that does make Video so much games,
1: sense. Video games, food, compulsive exercising, yeah. Uh, yeah. those are the, the the big ones. Sugar when, when we get sober, those are the oh God, the I eat top so much choices. It's so much fucking
0: sugar. Yeah.
1: The tattoos have been a big, 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 big thing. Um And when when you find a tattoo, is it Something that you are excited to get because you like what it says or stands for, or that it you feel like it's a reflection of who you are inside. Not but, at all. You just want something that looks cool. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, it. I, I. That's really. it. I have no rhyme or reason to any of the ones that I have. I have one, one. I have one of Frida Kahlo on my back, which is probably the only one that I've put real thought into. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, the rest of them, it's like, I walk into a tattoo shop and I'm like, that one, you know, like <laughs> I pick something off the wall. I'm like, that looks good. Or like one of them, I have a woman on my arm. And that was all because the tattoo artist was like, I really want to do this type of woman. And I was like, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I don't care. And that's just it there's no I like, kind of enjoy it more that way though. Yeah,
1: I mean isn't that kind of how we should walk through life? Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's a, it's a smorgasbord. Let's yeah, let's try it. Right. You know at the end of at the end of our lives right. are we going to smile about the the safety that we employed right. or about the times we just kind of threw caution to the wind, assuming it's not hurting somebody. Right, right, and, right. And just uh, tried a new experience.
0: It's really, that's really what it is. I mean, because then I also think that if I was to put too much thought into one of them, eventually I'd be like, oh, this is so fucking stupid. Rather yes. than when I, I was just, so
1: pretentious.
0: Yeah. Rather than when I can just walk into somewhere and be like, I'll take that one. It has no meaning. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. Like, it's yes. not going to do it. I'm not going to outgrow it. I mean, maybe I will, but it's not like a you know, anything with, like, powerful meaning. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's fun. I like the way it feels. It's kind of meditative, and it makes mm-hmm. me, like, focus on actual physical pain rather than, like, the mental pain. <laughs>
1: <So> yeah. <it's, laughs> Do you get an endorphin rush during oh, it yeah. or after it? Big yeah. Big time. Yeah.
0: Big time. And I'm a huge adrenaline seeker which i'm finding out i guess is like another quality of an addict and i I always talk to this with my therapist about this with my therapist where i'm like do you really think i'm an addict and she's like yeah like an addict is an addict is an addict through and through and she's like you know i think your biggest issues lie with your relationships with men but like it trickles down into the way that you spend money it trickles down Mm -hmm. into the way that you drink and do drugs it trickles down into you know, numbing and da da da, like it's all part of the same beast. Yeah. Ugh, exhausting. <laughs> so I'll just keep getting That's tattoos. That's
1: just... uh, Is there anything you you want to share before uh, before we wrap up?
0: Are we wrapping? Oh wow,
1: that went by so fast. Yeah, that was an hour. It
0: was really an yeah, hour. Yeah. Wow, that
1: was yeah, fast. I got, I, I'm in no hurry. If you if you got more stuff you want to talk about,
0: I you know if you have any question, anything you want to keep shooting out, I have no.
1: Let's do it. Let's end with this. Uh, there's yeah. a thing I do with guests sometimes called a fear off and a and a love off, where we exchange fears and Ooh. and then we exchange things we love. Uh, so I'll start off with the fear. I'm afraid Gracie has fucked this episode up, and it's going to be difficult to edit out her huffing and puffing.
0: <laughs> i don't think it was that bad yeah. um my i have a fear of what's my fear See, then i think about this stuff and my brain immediately mm-hmm. shuts down that's like my lack of that's and, where the wall comes up where i'm like right. anything that comes up anything that's like serious i have like a fear of seriousness in a lot of ways of i'm afraid of like if i say something that it's gonna sound really dumb or corny and that's that a good one. Is a big, yeah. yeah.
1: I like that one. Yeah. I'm afraid that I will let my guard down. Well, I already have let it down with COVID because I've been playing uh, hockey a couple of times a week. And I'm afraid that I'm going to get the virus. I'm going to be one of the people that hit super, super hard. And I'm going to slowly die and as i'm dying i will see every mistake i made and i my last feelings on earth will be just feeling stupid that is horrific yeah that that's my brain most of the day
0: that feels very
1: it's exhausting
0: i feel that though yeah that is like being like this fear like being exposed i'm like what am i who's gonna expose me what am i yeah Give me, a, give me a fear. That's a good fear. Um, I have a fear of. I have a fear of not making it in my field. I have a fear of like never getting. I mean, it's uh, this is like I hate to say this, but I do have like a fear of like never getting famous. Mm-hmm. And I hate, I hate that that's like a fear. I'm like, who gives a fuck? But then another part of me is like, but I want it so badly.
1: Do you want the financial security that you hope? You hope comes with it, or is it the uh, attention that you want? Honestly, both. It's like the
0: luxury, the luxury, and like the money, and then also the attention. I love attention. I'm then, you know, that's also a part of like my addictive personality is like, I need that's why I'm also on social media all the time because I'm like, I just need people like looking at me and interacting with me, and I just need it like all the time, just like validate me, validate me, validate me. So, yeah, that's if I was, if I was never. I I don't I don't know how people just live regular lives. I'm like, how do you not want attention all of the time? How do you not want to be so famous? It blows me away, blows me away. I don't know how people don't want it.
1: I I can understand how people don't want it. I I used to want it really badly, and I yeah. wouldn't say it's com it's completely left me, but. When I was doing TV stuff, Mm -hmm. I began to experience somebody stopping me on the street, somebody saying this, somebody asking for an autograph. And it was never the fantasy that it was, that it was in my head. A lot of times it was somebody that would, you know, have bad breath and make an offhand comment or be a little too pushy. And, and it never, it never calmed my, my anxiety. It was never, enough right it was yeah, it yeah, was yeah. uh at a, at a certain point i i i realized that i actually like not being recognized Yeah. because like being in a room after well you i'm sure you've experienced this being in a room after a stand-up show mm-hmm. and people are like oh that's a person that was on stage and you're you're getting more um you feel like you're under a mic- microscope, and that yeah. makes me anxious. Yeah,
0: it does actually make me anxious too. But in this weird way, I also get off on it. Yeah, because like if I if that does happen, when that does happen, I get I immediately like go inside of myself, and I don't know how to like interact with people, and I'm like, yeah, I get right. like really small. But right. then I
1: also like want it so badly. It, it, and and I I get that the thing that would scare me about getting really famous is then you lose the choice. Of anonymity.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you
1: know, i I liked that I got just a teeny tiny taste mm-hmm. of it, so I could know a little bit what it's like. But I, I haven't risked. I don't even like when I'm walking out in public, I don't even think about it. When I was first on TV, yeah. I would think about it all the time. Yeah. I would be like, Is anybody going to recognize me? You know. And I was also in a really different. Place right. where I had like I felt really empty, had no self esteem, yeah. and I was looking for anything to to validate me. But yeah. uh, nowadays, I would much rather have the money.
0: I would yeah. much rather have yeah, the money. Yeah, yeah, that, than that.
1: Yeah. I always think authors. Would be the best way to be famous because you could pull it out when you wanted to. Yeah, but you could hide it when you wanted not to. Not
0: famous enough for me. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. Except for, unless you're David Sedaris.
1: Yeah.
0: No, not even then. I, I
1: wouldn't be able to pick him. Would out you of, not? No. Yeah,
0: yeah. I get that. Being an author would be great.
1: Or somebody who, for me, like a musician, like Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. whom. A lot of people wouldn't recognize, but the people who would recognize him are people that yeah. like his music, and the people that like his music are generally people that tend to be, I think, a little more intelligent, a little yeah. more artistic, a little more yeah. on the fringe of of society.
0: Right. So you don't just ha- so you have a little bit more of a distinguished fan base. Yeah, not just a bunch of thirteen year olds yeah. screaming at you when you walk down the street. Right. Yeah. Right. Can you? I want both.
1: I love that you're honest about that because I, um, I think for a long time I didn't want to admit that I had any of that in me.
0: It's so embarrassing. And it used to,
1: it used to be huge inside me, huge inside me.
0: I, I've like recently started admitting it and it's every time I say it, I don't, I'm like, like, I can't believe I'm about to say that, but I mean, it's true and it is what it is.
1: And I think un- underneath it, uh, maybe this seems obvious, but th- that we just want to feel safe and loved.
0: That's what it is at the end of the day. I'm like, well, why, if I really analyze it, why do I want to be famous? It's like, because I want to connect with people and I have such like a desire to be able to like, cause I love being able to relate with people and I mm-hmm. want people to also feel like they can relate to me. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, if I had a massive platform, then I would know that like I could reach out to people who would also, maybe I could make them feel comfortable with who they are. And that's like what the core of it is. Yeah. Is wanting to feel relatable. Yeah.
1: It would be so hard though to get it on the level that you want it where it doesn't feel like it's not enough or it's not an onslaught where you feel drained by it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm giving
1: you some stuff to think about. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) I've already got so much and I've got more. Um, What was the other one? Fears and then uh, loves. loves. What's yours?
1: Uh, I love when Gracie uh, – I, I shared this one with you before we got on, Mike. I love when Gracie uh, gets excited because we're going to go for a walk, and she chooses – the way to demonstrate her celebrating is by grabbing a slipper and tossing it up into the air. That's She just loves footwear. That's her, like, uh, She's flipping it big phone right number now. one finger.
0: Yeah, it's so cute. Yeah. She loves its sock. I'm watching her chew it. Yeah. Um, loves. I love. I fucking love coming home to my cats. I have two cats. i are their I'm names? Obsessed with them, Pablo and Griselda. I'm obsessed. Oh with my them.
1: god, you're such a drug lord. Freak. That's what I named them
0: after. Oh yeah. That's so I funny. I know Griselda Blanco. Yeah. No knows that. Fist bump. Yeah, nobody bump. knows Griselda Blanco. My girlfriend Blanco.
1: is so tired of me watching Narco things. Really? So tired yeah. of it. Well, she's from Ecuador, and I oh think a God, lot of people yeah. from Latin America are tired. It's like, I'm from Chicago. We could care less about the gangster prohibition era. Yeah. That's like such a cliche to yeah. us. And so I think that's how a lot of people in Latin America feel so about funny. it. But, oh, fascinated. Watched uh the uh, Cocaine Cowboys, yeah. all of them. Okay. All of them. Have you seen, seen those that. documentaries? No, oh, no. my God. What
0: is that about? You have
1: then? to. It's about the uh, explosion of the drug trade in Miami in the 80s. Maybe I have. That's where she made her her name.
0: I feel was- like there hasn't been a lot done on Griselda.
1: Uh, there's a couple of things. Cool Are there? Things. Yeah. I'll, uh, when we get off mic, okay. I'll, I'll uh, tell you about them. But there's also a documentary where a, guy, a young guy falls in love with her and they have she this was a entri- gnarly bitch. She was a violent, violent woman. I mean, horrible, horrible Hor- childhood. Did she
0: behead all of her kids or shot them all?
1: I don't remember that but <laughs> but I think what you're thinking of is she ordered a hit one time and they were like we can't uh, you know it's a family and she said kill them all. Oh and god. The whole family. Wild she woman. was the one that really brought uh, savagery to another level in the drug drug war killing. She was the one that introduced civilians into it into Let's not only kill them, let's kill the people they love.
0: oh God, oh, yes. nasty woman, yeah, yeah, that's what my cat's named after. <laughs> she is I love them, love those girls, yeah. I thought Pablo was a boy when I got her, and it was after, you know, Pablo Escobar.
1: My uh, girlfriend's cat is named Pablo. Oh, really? Oh uh, He's the best. Cute. I fucking love him. It's a him. Great, name. He's great name. Great name for a cat. He's great. He got out, uh, escaped, and just got his ass kicked by another cat. Oh. Tore a hole in his ear. No. Yeah, and he still wants to get out. He's a house cat. He's a house cat, yeah. but he thinks he's an outdoor cat. My but.
0: cats try to escape all the time. Sometimes they do. And it's scary. There's me. a
1: lot of coyotes, man. You gotta be careful. Oh yeah. You gotta be careful.
0: Yeah, I would never I'd lose my mind if they ever got out and never I would mm-hmm. lose my mind.
1: Uh here's a really recent one. It's a little corny, but I love uh the song Country Roads uh by John Denver. The the chord changes in it and the melody. There's something about when a melody when the chords go from major chords to minor chords and somebody picks the right note, Mm. it opens up something in my heart that's, kind of feels beautiful but also really sad at the same time yeah and that song does it and i listened to it today 25 times in a row (laughs) yeah 25 times in a row
0: i get that i definitely get that you know i'll get hooked on a song that'll just like make me feel so good that is i do love finding new songs like that that just you listen to you listen to it over and over and over again you're like oh (laughs) god i don't i've never done heroin but i would imagine that's what it feels like
1: I've never done heroin, but I imagine it feels as good as dropping family off at the airport.
0: I'm oh, sure it does. God, that's got to feel better. <laughs> give me
1: another. Give me another love.
0: Um, another love. Another love. Um, you know, I love. Besides, besides getting tattoos, I mean, it's all. I feel like it's very surface level. Um, it's all right. Yeah. I... You know, no, I love, I love going to sleep next to my boyfriend. I really do love that. What's his name? His name's Shane. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I I really look forward to that where I'm like, oh, it's just like going to be a nice night where we can just like, I do love that. I really look forward to that. And I also love right after I get my eyelashes done. That's another thing I fucking love.
1: I love the feeling after a haircut. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the first time you wash your hair after a haircut yeah i love it
0: yeah i love it that is really good clean sheets love that
1: gabby thank you for coming in and being so open and and honest and uh keep keep kicking ass in all your your programs and all your recovery yeah. that's that's really awesome to to hear
0: yeah thank you so much this has been awesome
1: i'm glad you liked it
0: yeah 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 hell yeah
1: many many thanks to to gabby This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the racism survey filled out by a woman who calls herself too far from home. Uh, She is Asian, and uh, she writes, I was 11 years old when I first moved to Canada from China. I was getting registered at a local school, and the admin asked me what my name was. They couldn't pronounce it at all, so without prompting, they said, We'll call you Susan. My parents and I didn't know what to say, so the last thing I remember from that meeting was them saying, Bye, Susan. You remember how you felt when it happened. I didn't feel much, but maybe I was overwhelmed by all the newness. I remember thinking that I already chose an English name for myself, but at the time I was hesitant to declare that English name officially. But I remember I thought the name Susan was so not for me. No offense to Susan's, but it sounded like a boring old white woman's name. How do you feel about it now? I'm overall grateful for how truly diverse that school was. It was a really good mix of all the races. Many were immigrants. As soon as school started, I put down the English name that I chose for myself, which I still go by, and my documents still say my Chinese name. It's really like having two identities sometimes, which is at times inconvenient, at times gives me a feeling of disconnect, like no one can truly know my whole self, and at times something to be proud of. But it forever ruined the name Susan for me. Any thoughts or feelings you'd like to share? I'm a Chinese immigrant. I'm not a victim of racism or oppression because I never internalized white supremacy thanks to a thorough understanding of my own cultural backgrounds and of world geopolitical history. As an immigrant, I'm not here to take advantage of an American system of liberal freedom or whatever. I don't agree or respect the founding of the colonial nations on this land, but I'm a settler just like the European settlers. The difference is that my ancestors didn't form unfair treaties with the indigenous peoples here or stole their land or committed genocide. These are the affirmations I tell myself when I feel conflicted about living on this land instead of living in my homeland of China. Thank you for sharing that. There's so many experiences that... that I just, uh, that are such new experiences to me when I read the surveys, and I'm I'm so grateful for them. It is, uh, doing this podcast, I feel like I have uh, learned so many things that I probably would have never in my lifetime gotten to hear or uh, read. This is from the love survey filled out by Heidi Ho, and she writes: and "This is such a simple one. I love it when I'm driving and the sunlight changes at a transitional moment in a song. That is, I love any moment where you feel like the universe is is giving you a little, little nod." This is from the racism survey filled out by a uh, 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 black man who calls himself Ionic Sax Condom. No idea what that means. And uh, he writes, this event was something I witnessed while traveling on the Megabus back when Megabus first became a thing in the U.S. Megabus is similar to Greyhound, but only goes to major cities and is usually cheaper than Greyhound. Their gimmick was travel for as low as a dollar. I've never paid a dollar for a ticket, but I once had a round trip from Cleveland to Cincinnati for only eight bucks. That's besides the point, though. It was somewhere in the 2000s, and I was traveling with two of my siblings on the mega bus. It was a night trip, and we were waiting in line to board the bus. The bus. We were in the middle of the line, and a few feet away from the middle of the bus uh, were the bus driver, an older African-American man above 70 years old, Oh, I know, I fucking read that wrong. We were in the middle of the line and a few feet away from the middle of the bus, where the bus driver, an older African-American man above 70 years old, was loading suitcases onto the bus. Just about all the passengers had arrived, and we were in line waiting to board when a Caucasian mother and child arrived and approached the bus driver. The driver begins asking questions about destination, and one thing leads to another. I don't exactly remember what was said, but turns out the mother only purchased a ticket for her child. Unbeknownst to the mother, her child was too young to travel alone, according to Megabus rules. The driver politely tells her that her child could not travel alone, and he refuses to load the child's suitcase. That's when an argument ensues between the mother and bus driver. The driver continues to politely explain that he cannot allow the child to board, but the mother refuses to listen. Eventually, the driver realizes that the mother isn't going to give in, so he throws up his hands in frustration and turns around to start letting passengers board the bus. The mother then throws her hot coffee onto the driver while at the same time calling him the N-word and then storms off. Mouths drop open and everyone goes silent. Actually, I'm pretty sure everyone was silent while this was going on. So, you may be thinking, oh, maybe her coffee was cold. Nope, the cold air revealed that the coffee was hot. Steam from the hot liquid rose from the driver's drenched dark blue uniform. Wow, was that an image. Do you remember how you felt when it happened? I was in total shock. The way the N-word flew out of her mouth was such ease and no remorse. She definitely used that word often. I wonder if the driver was white, would she have thrown the coffee and called him uh, a derogatory term? I don't know if she realized that there were black people in line when she said it, but she obviously had no care about who hurt her. How do you feel about it now? It saddens me. When it happened, none of the passengers who witnessed it consoled the driver or said anything about it to him. Everyone, including myself, just prepet- pretended it didn't happen, and I regret not doing anything. At the time, though, I was in my teens and was suffering from really bad social anxiety, so the thought of trying to console a stranger was something that gave me anxiety. And what a great example, too, of the secondary ripples of painful shit. You know, first of all, that woman probably had no idea how she affected the bus driver, so wrapped up in her own fucking narcissistic bullshit. But I'm absolutely sure she had no idea that she would leave memories of the people who witnessed that that are painful and uncomfortable to remember. Any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to share? That event was burned in my brain because that man was definitely old enough to have lived through the civil rights era. So to still experience something like this in the 2000s solidified in my mind that there is still so much more that needs to be done. Not only that, but for an African American, it feels impossible distinguishing whether negative actions against you are due to your skin color or for some other random reason. Whether treatment towards you would have been different if you weren't a person of color. Uh, Things like that run through my mind on a daily basis. It's draining. It takes away from my three volt social battery. Oh, do I love that phrase? Three volt, volt social battery. It also causes me to avoid putting myself in situations that might lead me to interacting with someone who displays racist tendencies. Anywho... Love the podcast. It helped me get through my most recent episode of depression. Whenever someone I know is in a tough spot, I always try to get them to listen to this podcast. Thanks for what you do and for your support of people of color. Well, that means a lot to me, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. And, um, God, that's so... The... Vignettes that you guys paint uh, with the surveys uh, are are like little movies sometimes. This is from the love survey filled out by a person who calls himself "Well, piss on a pancake and call me Mildred." Is that a is that a thing? Is that a phrase? Uh, and uh, their love. I love walking around my apartment naked, except for my giant, ridiculous, puffy, comfy slippers. <laughs> Speaking of images. Uh, sometimes when I'm cooking for uh, my girlfriend uh, I will wear nothing but an apron and uh, we both laugh we both laugh this is from the shame and Secrets survey and this is uh, filled out by Miriam she is straight in her 40s was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment Uh was sexually abused and reported it. I was sexually, physically, and emotionally abused for years daily by my stepfather from ages 11 to 16 and emotionally and physically abused by my mother from birth until age 16. There was also some other sexual abuse by other people close to her. When I was 16, something years old Sixteen-something years old, I ran away from home. The social worker and authorities were doubtful of my report. That was 30 years ago. It led to reinforced trauma. Thirty years after the quote, escape, I'm able to live a mostly meaningful life. It is not that I am necessarily happy every day, but I am okay enough. Healing happened through my own efforts to heal through time and through the therapeutic relationship with the therapist who ultimately helped me to heal what was broken because of the abuse that led to multiple personalities. Healing is an ongoing effort. There are days when something triggers PTSD and I have to deal with it. I am still not able to feel and experience a full spectrum of emotions, but I am okay enough. I can hold a full-time job, went back to school, and now also hold a master's degree. I have a family of my own. How do I feel about it today? I will never forgive the people who abused me. There is no right to be forgiven or to even ask for that. I do not have contact with any abusers. For the longest time, I could not talk about what happened to me, never mind having words. It's a miracle that I'm doing as well as I am, and I thank the divine power every day. Uh, any positive experiences with abusers? No positive experiences. I was forced to have orgasms, which led to a lot of guilt until I became able to understand the physical reaction and how everything ties into the abuse. Yeah, it, it is such a, a mind fuck that your soul can experience something completely different from your body at the same time. Uh, Darkest thoughts. I have sexual fantasies that are close to what happened to me so often. They arouse me, which makes me feel ashamed at times. I understand it is a way of exercising control, uh, but still. Darkest secrets. After years of abuse and conditioning to react in sexual ways, I had an orgasm with anal rape. I want my I want my husband to have anal sex with me, which he does not wish to do. I got adult toys to deal with my desire. Uh, what are the sexual fantasies most powerful to you? I have fantasies of being helpless, tied up, in forced to orgasm, including pain slash BDSM. In my fantasies, I am in control and willingly endure with pleasure, which was different back when it happened to me. And that's such an important distinction, too, and and, and highlights the the complexity of the relationship between past drama and present-day sexual pleasure. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to make a positive difference in other people's lives. Have you shared these things with others? I shared some with my therapist when I was in therapy, not everything though. There are things that will most likely stay unspoken because they are too horrific to talk about. How do you feel after writing these things down? Good. Wow, thank you for that. And I'm I'm so glad that you're in a in a better place. That's that is a lot of shit to heal from. And you know, I was I was talking with uh, somebody the other day and it occurred to me that we can be doing well while at the same time not feel like we're doing well. Just kind of like we can be feeling like we're doing well and actually not doing well. You know, for instance, if you know, if we're uh, you know on a three day binge of, of cocaine and we feel like we can take on the world, but you know. Uh, in in reality we're on our way of burning our life to the ground but especially with with healing and working through tra- trauma you know it's it's an overall uh, forward movement but sometimes it's like it's, it's so painful it's hard to put into words yet it's something positive that we're doing and we're and we're doing well and that we're moving forward but we feel like shit while we're doing it This is uh, from the Love Survey, filled out by Anyone Else Find This Bit Hard? (laughs) Uh, And they write, I love the gentle humming noise my three-year-old daughter has always made when she eats something she absolutely loves. Like there's nothing else to ever think about but that delicious spoonful of ice cream she has right now. I love when shower gels are on sale and buying loads of flavors. Then, because I'm an adult and could do whatever the hell I want with my shower gels, opening every one and keeping them all in the shower opened. Then using different scents on different parts of my body and having an awesome long shower that feels like a seven-course meal. Uh, I love that feeling after a spell of anxiety passes and suddenly the world is still and everything is no longer a threat. You see colors again and can actually appreciate the beauty in the world instead of just seeing danger everywhere. And I love when you really don't want to do something you've committed to, but you don't want to be a jerk and cancel, but then your friend cancels so you can just not do the thing and not feel guilty and can instead just take a massive, long seven-course meal shower. (laughs) Ah, that is awesome, that is awesome. How do you find room for all of that in your... I, I am always tripping over shit soap and shower gel on the rim of my bathtub when I get in for a shower. Uh, and then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled by AIM in Minnesota. And she writes, my grandfather died last October. He was old and more than ready to die. Nevertheless, the 6 a.m. phone call and subsequent rushed drive to his nursing home, only to find my parents in tears and a dead body was emotionally difficult. He used to be large, imposing. He would stab us with forks if we burped at the table. I sat on the edge of his bed, his somehow smaller body still in that awful way that means there is no breath, no heartbeat, and leaned down to lay my head on his chest and give him one last hug. The pressure from my arms and the weight of my body forced leftover air and gas out of his body, causing a burp to come out of his mouth. (laughs) And that is the image I wanted to leave you with. Oh, thank you for sharing that Amy um, I don't know what to say man fucking hang in there hang in there the one constant in the universe is that shit changes and uh, I'm glad I hung around even if I'm sleeping more than dead people just remember you're not alone and thanks for listening Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody up up I know is weird way. bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.